Well, good morning. How are you guys doing? You good? Good. Good to hear it. My name is Kevin Valentine. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, if this is your first time here, let me welcome you. Thank you for joining us. We have a great day planned for you. We're in week three of our series, Stranger Things. And um, uh, I don't know if Michael asked, but just humor me because I was talking with somebody. Um, how many of you know the show, Stranger Things? How many of you guys know it, like it, love it? It's great. For those of you that don't know, let me fill you in. It is uh, set in the 80s. It's a TV show that is set, well, a Netflix show that's set in the 80s. Um, total nostalgia for people my age, like 28 and above, right? Total nostalgia. Um, but that's why we play all the 80s music, and 80, 80 music is going on out in the lobby and before every service. I love it. But it centers around this group of middle school kids that live in this town where strange things begin to happen that are unexplainable. And this show has a little bit of everything. I, I absolutely love it. Um, one of the things it has, it has this other realm that's called the Upside Down that some people know about, other people don't. It's got a government agency that's trying to cover it up. It's got monsters. It's got suspense. It has, you know, uh, it, it, has uh, it has mystery surrounding it. And here is what you need to know about this town and this world that they've created. There are people that are believers in this upside-down realm, and there are people that are uh, skeptics of this upside-down realm. Um, there are also people who believe in it and want everybody to know, and there are also those who know about it and want everyone to not know and try and cover the truth. So with that as the backdrop of what's going on in this TV show, The Strange Stranger Things, we have kind of used that to say, hey, let's talk about three truths in our culture that seem upside down, that people are skeptical about, that there's some people that believe and they tell everybody there's others that don't believe and try and talk everybody out of it. There's some people that know about it and talk down about it. And there's others that, that don't know anything about it, but want to know about these things. So we thought, let's take three truths right out of scripture about our world um, and look at them and see if there is evidence that they are true. And so often when it comes to Christianity, so many people think to be a Christian, to believe in Jesus, you have to um, throw away reason and logic and just believe on, on blind faith. Just, you know, where Christians are just like, hey, just trust us. It's all true. Just believe, you know, and that's, but what you find is, is that's not the case at all. If you sit down and you look at the evidence and if you sit down and you do the research, um, which we kind I kind of did a little bit for you in week one, we talked about the existence of God and we talked about the research. We scratched the surface on is there evidence for the existence of God in the universe. Um, and we did that week one. Week two, uh, we looked at the claims of the Bible. Is it a book that we can trust? How do we know that it's reliable? And I, I believe the evidence kind of stood on its own of saying, yes, we can believe what's in the Bible, the historical events in the Bible. We know where it came from. We have more documented proof of it than any other work of literature on the face of the earth. Um, and, uh, and then today we're looking at, you know, is there evidence, is there truth to Jesus walking on this earth and dying on a cross and resurrecting three days later. And um, I believe when you really take a look at the evidence um, that you realize you don't have to check your brain at the door to believe in the Jesus of Christianity. You don't have to check your brain at the door to follow Christ. Um, there's evidence to the soundness of the story of Christianity. Now, is faith required? Yes, but it is not blind faith. It is faith that has a foundation that you can trust um, of a, an invisible God that created you and I and says to us, um, I created you, I love you, and you were made to be connected to me. And so today, um, we're going to engage our minds. We're going to take a look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and I just want you to know this. Um, 
the Christian faith hinges on the resurrection of Jesus. You need to know that this is a big deal to be here today. And the question we're going to ask is, did it happen? And how can we know for sure? And so this is what we did. We uh, I have a buddy of our buddy of mine named Brian, Brian Rossi. He's kind of a friend of Kensington and uh, lives up in Michigan. And he actually went out to a Tigers game and wanted to just ask people if they believe if Jesus rose from the dead or not. And I think you will very much enjoy what many people had to say. So let's watch this video together. Hey guys, this is Brian. We are here in downtown Detroit on opening day for the Detroit Tigers. And we've been talking with people about what they think is truly possible and actually real versus what they think is just plain old nonsense. Things have been interesting, to say the least. You guys want to play? What is this? You guys want to do this? I'm going to read off three inventions. After I say each one, if you think it's real, then yell real. If you think it's fake, then yell nonsense. Cola flavored coffee. Uh, nonsense? What? Real. Nonsense. Cola-flavored coffee exists. It does? Yes. Yeah. Schnitzel and noodle-scented candles. Nonsense. Yeah. True. Nonsense. Nonsense. True. True. Correct. If you think, you, were you with me? All right, we're back. Square-shaped watermelons. I think they're oval, but, um... Nonsense! Real. 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 Is the group consensus real? Real. 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 Correct. Yeah. Ready? Cut. Back on. Temperature-controlled toilet seats. Oh, that is genius, isn't it? You got it's one. genius. Have you ever experienced a temperature-controlled toilet seat? Only if I was second. <laughs> I'm going to name off dance moves that have swept the nation over the years. If you think they are real and great, then say awesome. If you think they are fake or ridiculous, then say honey, please. The chicken dance. Awesome. 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 Honey, please. The Macarena. Awesome. The Dougie. Oh! You think we will see a man on Mars in our lifetime? No. Yes. Yes. We haven't even been to the moon. Conspiracy. Anything's possible. Government tells you doesn't tell you everything, man. Area 51, man. <laughs> Area 51. Do you guys think we'll ever see a man on Mars in our lifetime? Yes. Awesome. 2020. 2020 is when it's happening. Yes. He's calling it out right here, folks. He made the prediction. 2020, we're going to Mars. Oh, wait. I read books. Do you think that it's possible for people to be raised from the dead? No. Not yet. I do. Zombies. Walking dead. Not yet. Science. Yes. You're dead. You're dead. Sorry. People can be raised from the dead. Yeah? You think it's happened? Oh, yeah. Do you guys think it's possible for someone to be raised from the dead? Yes, Jesus. A guy named Jesus, you think he existed? Jesus. Do you think a guy named Jesus actually existed? And that he was raised from the dead. Of course. Nope. Nope. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely not. Never. No. Why not? I believe he died and he helped people, but I don't believe that there is a Jesus that was risen from the dead. I honestly, I believe in God, but I don't know enough about religion. So I'm gonna say no. I think he went into hiding and faked his own death. Yes, we think that a person can be raised, risen from the dead. Okay, you, so you think the guy named Jesus actually existed and then was raised from the dead? Oh, yes. 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 True. No, I believe Jesus got resurrected from the dead. And you believe Isn't in zombies? It? No, yeah. only Jesus can do that. Yeah, no, but the team so believe in zombies. You think a guy named Jesus existed? Absolutely. And, and he was crucified? Absolutely. And was for three days and Absolutely. Was How come? Because I met him. Where did you meet him? In my heart, in my mind, in my spirit. Science. You can't raise someone from the dead? 
Unless he wasn't dead in the first place, and you just think he goes straight from the dead. We don't know if God exists. I tell you, my, my favorite guy on there is the zombie guy, right? Yes, zombies, yes, zombies. That's all he wanted to say. Oh, my gosh. But, but here's what's interesting. When you get out there and you start talking to people on the street, fact or fiction, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you get all kinds of answers. A lot of people just don't know. Um, some think maybe possibly, but they were just taught that in their, their tradition of growing up. Um, some don't see how this could be relevant to their life today. And so why should we care whether Jesus was resurrected from the dead? And so let me just tell you, um, I believe that this week is the most important week of this series um, because it's important for all of us to know that there is um, hard evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And also it's important because this is the cornerstone of faith in Jesus. This is the event that literally changed the world as we know it. And there is enough evidence that you don't need blind faith to accept it. All you need is an open heart to the facts that are already there. Um, Jaroslav Pelikan, he's a history professor at Yale. He's quoted as saying this, and I want you to think this through. If Christ is risen, nothing else matters. And if Christ is not risen nothing else matters. If Christ is risen, then nothing else matters than that truth because it answers so much of what we struggle with in our soul. But if Christ is not risen, nothing else matters. It all comes down to this. Did Jesus experience a bodily resurrection from the dead? Did he return from death? And if he did, his claims to be divine have a lot of significance to what's happening in our world today. So let me pray, and then we're going to dive into some of the evidence. Um, Jesus, this morning, as I always pray every week, um, Lord, I pray that you would just um, open our hearts and our minds and our souls to you right now. Um, teach us new things today that we haven't contemplated. Teach us new things that we didn't know. Lord, even for those of us that have followed you for years, um, Lord, I pray that you would teach us something new. And for those of us that are in the midst of our spiritual journey to you and aren't quite sure yet, Lord, I pray that today would just be a step in the journey, an important step in the journey to faith in you. Um, God, I thank you that you welcome our questions, our doubts. Um, I, I, I love that you are welcoming to those of us that just want to know um, if, if there's evidence to support what you claim in your word and through people who follow you. And God, you're not afraid of our questions. I thank you for that. And I just ask that you would speak to us as we bring those to you in your holy name. Amen. So here's how we're going to kind of lay out the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to use an acronym um, just because it makes things easier for me because I'm not that smart and it helps me remember stuff. So we're going to use the word case, C-A-S-E. We're going to make a case for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and each letter um, means something. We're going to start with C, which is the crucifixion. The A is for appearance. Um, the S is for skeptics agreement, and the E is for empty tombs. So if you're taking notes, you can write case down your notes this way, and each letter will mean something different. Um, <clears throat> today, I'm going to give you a lot of information, so uh, you, you know I, you don't have to write everything down, um, but I want to tell you that, that each week of this series could have been a six-week series. There's that much information to just work through and understand. Um, so we're just scratching the surface today. I can't answer all of your questions, but what I'm hoping is, is that this will kind of whet your appetite to go out and do some research yourself and, and just see what truth is out there um, if you begin to do a little bit of research. So let's jump into the first piece of evidence we're going to look at. 
That's the crucifixion itself. Um, and for those of you that are church-going people, this is going to feel a little bit like Good Friday and Easter, because that's when we typically talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. Um, but let's talk about the evidence for that. Um, some of the objections of Jesus' resurrection, and you heard it in that video, is that he never really died, so therefore he didn't need to be resurrected. He just took a three-day nap, woke up, and went, ta-da! Like, that's what happened. That's how Jesus did it. Um, well, here's what we know. The very first thing we know that is, that is a historical fact is that Jesus was crucified. Even scholars that don't believe in Christ agree on the cross as historical fact. John uh, Dominic Croissant, he denied the resurrection in his book. It's called Jesus, a Revolutionary Biography, where he says the resurrection didn't happen. But he says that he was crucified is as sure as anything historical can ever be. So we can know he was crucified. Non-Christian writers, um, uh, uh, sources on the historicity of the crucifixion who had everything to gain by denying that he was crucified, they write, um, uh, one of them is Josephus, a Jewish historian in the first century. He says, then Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing among us, had condemned him to be crucified. Tacitus, we talked to him about him last week, second century Roman historian um, who just documented a ton of stuff about Rome, um, wrote, Nero fastened the guilt of the burning of Rome and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class called Christians by the populace. Christus, which is what they refer to Jesus as, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our pr procurators, Pontius Pilate. So even historians, what you find is you do the, do the research, um, people who didn't like Jesus, didn't like his message, they say, yep, he was crucified. The Gospels record in graphic detail um, how uh, Jesus passed, how he died on the cross, John 19, 31 through 35. Um, now, it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jewish leaders, uh, so they had crucified Jesus, and he was on the cross, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. This is an important fact in Scripture because it, it basically agrees with everything we know about Roman crucifixion. And um, I know you guys think about crucifixion all the time, um, so let me just talk about it for a second for those of you that don't. Um, I, I don't know if you know this, but when people were crucified, they didn't bleed to death. Um, they used seven-inch spikes, and those actually, when they went through the wrists and through the feet, those actually sealed the wounds. So you didn't die by bleeding out. If you were ever crucified, you actually died by suffocation. Because what would happen is if you've ever tried to breathe hanging from something, um, it's very hard to breathe when all of your weight is suspended from your arms. And so what would happen if you were crucified, your feet were like this, um, you would have to push up on your legs, pull with your arms to take a breath, and then you would sink back down. Over time, um, sometimes up to three days, the body would finally give out and you just would stop being able to breathe in that position. Um, in fact, they, they did say, they do say in historical accounts that sometimes when people would go unconscious, their body impulsively would pull up and take a breath and then go back down. And so you died by suffocation um, that could take up to three days. So to speed things up, they would send soldiers to break the legs. 
so that they couldn't push up anymore to take a breath, which would allow them to die sooner. Now, I know that is extremely graphic for you. Going, I was not looking for that this Sunday. Um, well, you just need to know all of this goes into the evidence for which we go, wow, this story matches up. This story has foundation. Um, that's why these details are in there. They actually authenticate the accuracy. Verse 32, the soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man. Jesus was crucified in between two thieves. Um, they came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Now, here's what you need to know about this scene in Scripture. Um, Scripture and historians place so many historical figures at the scene of the crucifixion, from disciples to Roman centurions to the ruling religious class that sent Jesus to the cross. Um, the Apostle Paul was there. We're going to talk about him in a few minutes, all watching the Romans do what they did best. So the theory that Jesus never died has no credibility because if you know anything about Rome, and I know many of you back in high school when you studied Roman history, if you did, it might have been like one chapter. I don't even know if they teach it anymore, to be honest with you. I was in school a long time ago. Um, everything was like black and white TVs and stuff. So it's like when, when you look at history, you look at Rome, you, real, you learn that the Romans knew how to kill people. In fact, it was one of the things they were expert in. Um, they were known as one of, the, one of the most brutal mercenaries to have ever lived on the earth. Um, if they crucified you, you died. Like that's what happened. They devised it to be one of the most brutal ways of execution that they could come up with. And they were experts at it. They were common. Anyone that disagreed with Rome, anyone that got in their way, they crucified them at the crossroads of main streets so that everyone could see what would happen if you crossed Rome. They did it publicly. They did it graphically. And they would oftentimes leave the bodies on the crosses for weeks at a time to decay so everybody going into town knew what would happen if you crossed Rome. So this idea that Jesus didn't die from crucifixion when it was done by the, by the hardest mercenaries the world has ever known has no credibility because of what we know about history. Later the same day, Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pontius Pilate and says, would you give me the body so that I can embalm it and put it in a tomb? Um, that is not doubted in historical context. I can tell you a ton more about it, but that's just the, the, like, that Jesus was crucified and died. That is done. That is like historical fact. Um, we can believe that G the crucifixion resulted in Jesus' death. Now, the next part, crucifixion evidence, the A, is appearance claims of the disciples and Paul who believed they saw Jesus alive after they had watched him die, in which they have, had seen dozens, if not hundreds of people die they actually saw the risen Jesus. Paul actually reports what the claim is um, uh, when, about Jesus rising from the dead, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, which is a euphemism for passing away. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also. Even opponents of the resurrection admit that Jesus appeared alive 
after he was known to be dead. Um, New Testament critic, University of Chicago, Norman Perrin. He says, the more we study the tradition with regard to the appearances, the firmer the rock begins to appear upon which they are based. The evidence just continues to point toward Jesus appearing very much alive after he had been crucified. And then this evidence we have actually turns overwhelming because you realize that that passage in 1 Corinthians was written no more than 25 years after the death of Jesus by Paul, who was a personal friend of James, Peter, and John, who were eyewitnesses. So Paul's writing was written during the lifetime of other eyewitnesses who say, this is what we saw and this is what happened. Because they were there, they will not anyone, let anyone mistake what actually happened. Based on eyewitness testimony, you can be certain that Jesus was very much alive after dying on the cross. And he was seen by people who talked to him. And he knew who they were. They touched the nail holes in his hand. They touched the wound in his side, very much alive after dying on the cross. And here's what's fascinating, fascinating about it. Um, in religious history, um, oftentimes you have someone that claims they have a vision by God, um, and they write about that vision, and out of that, they base an entire religion on it. You know, many of us, we know other religions that are based off of a, a person saying, I had a vision from God, I wrote it down, and, and now we're all going to have, we, there's a religion that's kind of built around that. Here is the problem with um, all of the other world religions um, is they, they all have only one person who saw what they claim to have seen, and there are no ways to confirm or deny what they say they saw and what they say they heard. Every other world religion, that's how it came about. And here's what's, here's what's fascinating. You've got Peter, James, and John all together when Jesus died. He appears alive again. They all see him. Not only that, they have 500 people over the course of 40 days um, that all saw Jesus alive. And I'm sure if you went to Paul and said, Paul, seriously, prove it, he would give you a list of 500 names and cell phone numbers and say, you call them. One of the only religions in history in our world today that has hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses to what the religion is claimed to be founded upon. Whereas every other religion you look at has one person that says they alone saw it, they alone heard it, they alone are the only interpreter, and no one else can say that they saw what they saw. It makes Christianity stand alone in world religions. In fact, what further goes to prove is that you've got James, Peter, John, and Paul going to their death, suffering martyrdom, claiming that Jesus had risen and it appeared to them. They were willing to die for what they believed they saw. The evidence is pointing towards and giving us enough to support you and I being able to claim that what the gospels say about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is true. So we have the crucifixion, what we know historically of how that works. Um, we have the appearances that, uh, that Jesus was seen alive um, after, after being dead and buried for three days. And then we get to the ace in our case for the resurrection. And this is the skeptics. Two in particular. You've got Paul, who was a Christian killer, and you've got James, Jesus' younger brother. They were both converted. Um, and the fact that they converted to follow Christ because they claim to have seen Jesus alive after his death, support the reality of the resurrection. So let's take James, um, Jesus' little brother. You might not know this, but James, Jesus' little brother, early on did not believe Jesus. Didn't believe him. He probably called him crazy. 
He probably told everybody, ah, he's my brother, but he's not God. He's just got this Messiah complex thing going on. He'll grow out of it. You know, it's like kind of one of those things. Um, He's like, no, you don't understand. I watched Jesus. I saw him pick his nose. I watched him throw up. I I, I heard him fart. I watched him blow snot bubbles in his in his nose whenever he got sick. Like he was, he's not God. I know him. I watched him grow up. But what scripture records is after seeing Jesus resurrected, James undergoes a radical transformation in what he believes because suddenly he begins to believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be, which was God in the flesh. And then the apostle Paul, he watched Jesus killed on the cross, condoned it, became a noted Christian killer. He would chase people down, throw Christians in jail, or get them killed if he could. Hated Christianity that much and anyone who claimed Jesus that much. And then Paul radically transformed. Radically transformed after seeing Jesus. This is what Paul writes, 1 Corinthians 9.1. Am I not as free as anyone else? Am I not an apostle? Haven't I seen Jesus our Lord with my own eyes? Paul meets Jesus after killing Christians, and Jesus and him have a conversation, and Paul is radically changed after seeing the resurrected Jesus. Scholars say something real happened to both of them. Um, They converted, knowing that the cost of doing so, um, there was no upside. There was only downside. Um, And in seeing Jesus resurrected, they were immediately willing to die. Further proof. We have more than just those two and the disciples. Um, How do you explain all the Jews, these monotheistic Jews who believe that God is in heaven and we're on earth and that they're not one and the same? God is not human. God is up here and we are down here. That is what Jews believe. That is what they're taught from a young age. Yet Jesus made such an impression on them in just a few short years that by the end of his ministry, when he ascends into heaven, they are seeing him as God on earth. Um, One of their contemporaries as God embodied. How do you explain this? This goes against everything they'd ever been taught as they're now worshiping a human being, which is is considered blasphemous in Judaism. Um, They're praying to this human being as if he is God. What did Jesus do to, to, to explain that? How did this band of scared disciples who run away every time something gets tough suddenly turn into men and women who weren't afraid for their life? We're willing to give up their life to talk about Jesus rising from the dead. How did they become that, that, that bold all of a sudden when every time things turned away, they ran? Um, uh, they went throughout the, the world proclaiming that Jesus died and rose from the dead. Well, how do you explain the change in them? They say, if you ask them what they say, why that change? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. They saw him. And that radically changed to the point where they weren't afraid for their, their lives anymore because they had seen Jesus die in, in a resurrected body. They had heard him tell that those who believe will also experience a resurrected body someday. And I will just tell you, um, if, if you are anyone that suffers with any, with any type of chronic pain or disease or disability or just hurts habits and hangups that we all deal with, you have got to understand the hope that comes from just realizing that someday... The power of the resurrection of Jesus' resurrected body is something that he says, if you believe in me, you will also experience. So you've got the conversion of skeptics. Um, You've got followers of Jesus that are on another layer. You've got the reality of the crucifixion. 
And before I give you the last one, we're going to receive our offering. So ushers, if you guys want to come on down. Um, for those of you that are uh, guests here, let the basket go by. We're glad you're here. Um, please feel no obligation to give. For those of you that call um, Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. And we just say thank you. This is a moment of thanks um, where we just trust God and say, you know what, God, I'm going to give back to you from what you gave to me, and I'm going to trust you to give me what I need um, to, the, to take care of my family and, and my needs as I'm taking care of you and your needs. And so for those of you that give here and online, thank you for that. Um, and so, so let's, let's walk down case, the crucifixion, A, the appearances of Jesus, um, S, the skeptics um, who were changed at their own peril, and then what I believe is the most compelling evidence is the empty tomb. That's what the E stands for, the empty tomb. You need to know there is no evidence in history of anyone ever presenting the body of Jesus Christ. Nowhere. Think about this. All the Romans had to do. All the Jewish leaders had to do to squash Christianity. If they do this one thing, we're not sitting here. If they do this one thing, there's no Christianity. If they do this one thing, um, there's no reason to have faith in Jesus of any kind. If they can do this one thing, all they had to do between 70, after 72 hours, a week, a month, a year, five years from then, all they had to do to kill Christianity was show the body of Jesus was come up with the body of Jesus and have those who saw him alive say, yep, yep, that's him. And what you find in history, they never do. They never have. Scholars from both camps, they agree on the location of where the body was. It was in one of two places in Jerusalem. They all agree that it's one of those two places. It's a real event. The Romans sent a Roman guard to guard the tomb so that no one could steal the body. As, you know, the one guy said he wasn't really dead or so, someone stole the body. But right away, and this is what's fascinating about this, right away in Matthew 28, you can go read this for this is part of you doing your own homework. Go read Matthew 28. You see that the Roman soldiers, what happened at the tomb is an angel shows up, they fill their drawers and pass out. Okay, that's what happens to the Roman guard, about, about sometimes 15 to 20 troops. They pass out. Jesus walks out. He talks with Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene and another Mary that's there and sends them to go tell the disciples that, they, that he is alive. And, and what you find out is that Roman guard who just could be killed for what just happened actually goes to the religious leaders and they strike a deal. They're basically bribed to say that the disciples stole the body in the middle of the night while they were sleeping. Um, and so that's what they go and tell their bosses. And that rumor got started then. And scripture even says, it's believed to this day. But here's the fact, is that all they had to do was present a body, and Christianity's over, and they never do because the tomb wasn't as empty. The tomb's empty. There's no body in there. The bones of Jesus have never been found. They've never been uh, revealed even by those who would have everything to gain. Do you realize all the rebellion that happened because of Jesus and the overthrow of power would have just been squashed if it would have just produced a body? They couldn't. It's further support for the tomb being empty and Jesus being alive. And when you put it all together, it points to you and I being able to, with pretty credible evidence, belief that not only did Jesus die on the cross, but he rose again three days later. But here's the interesting thing. The question that most of us struggle with, really, is not if he died on the cross. And if he rose again, the evidence really points to that. The question is, so what? That's what we struggle with. So what? What does it mean? 
So he did. What happens with you and I if that's true? How does that impact us today? And I will just tell you this, it means everything, especially if you're a person of faith. Today is one of the most important days of the year that we're talking about this. Um, the Apostle Paul, he writes, he makes an argument in 1 Corinthians 15, and this is what he says. He says, but tell me this, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the, raised Christ from the grave. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. There's no payment for sin. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be pitied more than anyone in the world. Why would he say that? Because we're living for a lie. But in fact... Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. And what Paul is arguing for is he just said, look, Christianity hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus isn't raised from the dead, pack it up, go home, watch football. Like that's life. That's all you got today. You don't have any other reason to be here if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. If this event didn't happen, then you and I are fools to believe. That's what Paul is arguing. But if Jesus did die and raise three days later, you and I can have hope of what happened to him happening to us someday. That is the hope of believing in Jesus is that the moment we take our last breath on this planet, and you're going to hear me say this a hundred times if you come here for a while, it's the hope that the moment we take the last breath, our last breath on this planet, we take our next breath with him in heaven. That's the hope in a resurrected body which Jesus showed us. And if you go read the Gospels, you can see what that body can do. It's a whole message, and it's awesome. I want one of those. I won't come in pieces anymore after that. Um, it'll be fantastic. Um, so here's the deal. If you see, you, if Jesus died and rose from the dead, everything he said about himself is validated. Let me just tell you what he said about himself so that you can get the full picture that he's equal with God. He is God in the flesh. That's what he claimed. He said, you want to see God? Look at me. That's validated if he rose from the dead. Um, his power to raise and judge the dead is validated if he rose from the dead. His ability to forgive sins is validated. Um, his claim that no one comes to God, the Father, except through him, is validated. He is the doorway. Um, on the cross, he bore all the sin and suffering of all humanity, and through his resurrection, he triumphed over the evil in this world. Um, Jesus makes it clear that anyone who accepts him as Lord will have eternal life. For believing, you can put faith in the truth that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, left the power and comfort of heaven to come to our rebellious planet. He took on the limitations of a human body. You and I, we know how limited we are. Can you imagine God that created everything taking on the limits of a human body? Why? To reveal to us who God is and then die for our sin and give us a way to be in relationship with God. The historical facts support that. The change in someone's life who truly believes supports that, then and now. The crucifixion supports that. The appearance of Jesus afterwards supports that. The skeptics who were converted support that. The empty tombs support the truth of Jesus Christ, which gets me to this truth. And I think it's important that we know that Christianity does not exist because of the Bible. Christianity does not exist because of a huge conspiracy. Christianity does not exist because a bunch of people made up a bunch of stuff and wrote it down and everybody believes it. Um, Christianity exists because of a risen Savior, Jesus Christ, period. 
That is why Christianity exists. It is an event that happened centered around a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and life. He's the doorway to heaven. He's the doorway to having our own resurrected body someday. He's the doorway that opens in with belief in Jesus. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses ever spoken by Jesus. Do you know where he, he spoke it? In the middle of the night, in a quiet room to one man, Nicodemus. That is where this verse came from, yet it's reverberated around the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Through Jesus, we know God. Through Jesus, we have a relationship with God. Through his resurrection, the same power that resurrected him, we have access to through the Holy Spirit. And that's what you need to know for those of you that just can't seem to get past certain hurdles in your life. Do you know Jesus? Because Jesus says the same power that resurrected him from the dead, when you have a relationship with him, you have access to that kind of power. To do what? What you can't do on your own. You have the power to break addictions in your life. You have the power to, to, to change the way you see the world. And I'll just speak from personal experience, and I will just tell you this. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. Getting to know Jesus is the best thing that ever happened in my life because he's changed everything about me. He's changed how I view the world. He's changed how I see other people. He's changed how I look at death. The best thing. And here, I'll just tell you this. I believe... That if you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you do, that Jesus will be the best thing that ever happened to you, too. And I know that to be true. And so here's what I want to do. Um, I want to pray right now, because I know there's some of you in the room that, that today's your day. You're ready to accept Jesus. You've been coming around long enough. You've learned enough. Or maybe today you're finally going, man, I got to make a decision on this Jesus thing. And today's your day to make that decision. And so I want to just hit the pause button. And we're going to pray. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me if that's you. So let's bow our heads, close our eyes, everybody in the room. And um, I'll just say this. If, if you are um, ready to kind of draw a line in the sand of your life and say, I'm going to follow Jesus, you can make my words yours. There's nothing powerful or magical about the words. It's more the state of your heart. But you can borrow my words to talk to God in this moment. You can just, just say something like this. You don't have to say it out loud, just in the quietness of your heart. Dear God, today I want to accept the truth of who Jesus is. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sin. And that he rose again three days later, proving that he was who he said he was. Please forgive me for my sins. I invite you into my life, and as much as I understand, help me to live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'll just say this. If you just prayed that prayer with me, there's a couple things you need to know that you can be assured that when your life here is over, that you have a life in heaven for eternity. It's one of the promises Jesus makes in Scripture find peace and hope in that. And two, you can know that you now have a partner in your life that is powerful, where Jesus says, if you believe in me, I send you my Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you. You have access to a power source to be different than you've ever been, to see the world differently. And you have access to that at a moment's notice just by calling on the name of God. 
And so I want to tell you that if you prayed that today, would you tell somebody here? Would you tell me? Would you stop by the prayer area and get prayer? Would you stop by starting point? We'll give you a Bible just so we can help you in your journey. Um, we would love to come alongside. And so here is how we want to end our service. Um, we are going to close out this series with communion. And um, in just a few minutes, the ushers are going to be bringing down the elements during this next song. And you just need to know, uh, for those of you that are believers, um, or when we pass out the bread and juice, just hold on to it. For those of you that aren't believers yet, and you're still processing this God thing, or you're not sure, I want to just tell you, let the, let the elements go by. You don't have to take communion in this moment. But this is a way for those who believe to remember what God has done for us. And you just need to know one of the things that I find fascinating about communion is that Jesus gave this to his disciples before they knew what was about to happen. He hadn't died and been, and, and been resurrected yet. It was before he said, hey, there's a few things that are going to happen here in the next few moments, next few days. And I want to give you a way to remember it for all times. And that's what we're about to do. And so as the, um, as the elements are brought out, just hold on to them. And uh, we're going to take them together after this song. But over the next few minutes, I just want to give you time with God. Pray, um, contemplate the series today. Um, whatever you need to do to work some things out with him to get prepared for communion, take the next four or five minutes and let's do that together. And then I'll come up and we'll, we'll receive communion.